For those of you who don't know me, my name is Jerry, and I'm one of the pastors here at Rock Prairie, and to my left is Rachel, providing sign language for us this morning. Did everyone have a good Thanksgiving? I drove through Elwood a little bit earlier in the week, and I saw a sign on the, the Taylor's Burger Dairy said, gobble till you wobble. <laughs> that is pretty much an accurate description of our Thanksgiving. We ate a lot of good food. But for us, this Thanksgiving honestly was different. In fact, while I can ensure you that our entire family was very thankful over this past year for how good God has been to us, what's also true is that this whole year has been different for us. It's been maybe even what you would call a troubling year. See, generally we host Thanksgiving at our house, but this year we just physically weren't able to. Shelby and Mitchell hosted. Uh, just two days before Thanksgiving, Kim had two discs replaced in her neck. She had major surgery, and we just physically couldn't do it. And some of you may remember that just a few weeks ago, I had surgery on my neck as well. For both of us, we began experiencing pain in our arms and our necks probably about a year ago. And so the entire year of 2022 has kind of been a quest to figure this out. You know, we've been to doctors and physical therapy and medical tests and physical therapy again. And in the end, we've spent more money than I care to think about and ended up having the surgeries that we pretty much knew we needed right from the beginning, right? But it goes beyond the, the medical stuff. It's also been troubling because many of you know my tendency to engage in a lot of news, and the world is kind of messed up right now, right? Um, inflation is out of control. The price of everything is high. There's this looming railroad strike. I don't know if you're following that, and we, we're concerned about that, driving inflation even higher. There are unjust wars being fought in the world and other wars that seem like they're inevitable at this point in time. We had a little election a few weeks ago that I can't seem to make heads or tails of. And, and overall, this has been a year which, for me, has left me with my insides feeling full of turmoil and concern and trouble. But I'm not telling you any of this for sympathy. I'm telling you this because as I talk with people, I find that many of you also I've said this has been a troubling year. You've gone through a lot of trials, causing your hearts to feel troubled. Some of my friends gathered here today have lost loved ones in the last year, and you're troubled as you try to figure out how to go on. Some have had financial issues, some marriage issues, or kids who are struggling and you just don't know how to help. Some have had impossible expectations placed on you at your place of employment. And many of you are concerned with the direction of the world. You're concerned about how to make ends meet, right? You're concerned about highly charged politics and how we move forward in that. And just the instability that seems to exist in the world right now. It seems I'm constantly talking to people who would say, my heart feels troubled. And I want you all to know that I, I get that. I've I felt that this year, probably more than ever in my life. And the truth is that even if you're a person who would say, I'm not feeling that right now, there's coming a time when you probably will, because we live in a world that's full of trouble, right? It's a sin-cursed, fallen world that's full of trouble. But today I want to come to remind us, myself included, 
of some great news. In the midst of this tendency many of us have to feel like the weight of the world is crashing down on us, we have much to be thankful for, not the least of which is this incredible book, which God has given to us to remind us of the truths that he loves us, that this world is not our home, and that he is in control. So in reminding us of those three things, I'd like for us all to look at a particular passage of Scripture this morning about a group of men whose hearts were troubled and what Jesus had to say to them. So turn with me in your Bibles, if you will, to the book of John chapter 14, and we will be reading verses 1 through 6. John 14, 1 through 6. In this passage, Jesus is speaking, and he says these words. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again to receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also, and you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Ask God's blessing on his word this morning. In the passage we've just read, Jesus, the one and only Son of God, is gathered with his 12 disciples, his closest friends, on a Thursday evening. And this is the last night that he has with the men that he has spent the last three years training. It's kind of like his final address to them. Because on Friday, the very next day, he would be crucified and become the sacrifice that takes away the sins of the world. I'm sure most of you know the story. It was a strange week. Just three days earlier on Monday, Jesus had made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Tens and maybe even hundreds of thousands of people had gathered to watch him ride into Jerusalem on a colt. And they were throwing their cloaks on the ground in front of him. They were waving palm branches and they were shouting that he was the king of Israel. The passage in the Bible that describes this scene is known as the triumphal entry. But the triumph was short-lived because by Friday, these same people would be calling for Jesus to be crucified. In spite of this, knowing full well what's about to happen to him, on this Thursday evening, Jesus is spending what little time he has left comforting his disciples, comforting his friends. For the past three years, these 12 men have spent every day with Jesus. They believe in him as God's son. Peter has even confessed, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. These men love Jesus. They're devoted to him. They've left everything behind to follow him. And until this, this very Thursday, 
They have believed that he was going to rule Israel from an earthly throne and free them from Roman oppression, that, that they would have, as his closest companions, they would be given titles like Minister of Defense or Director of Homeland Security and Chief of the Treasury, and on and on it goes. But now they're confused and they're distressed because Jesus, in the previous chapter, in chapter 13, has told them that he's leaving. And not only has he told them that he's leaving, he said that where he's going, they can't join him. And that one of them will betray him. And specifically to Peter, Jesus has said, a rooster will not crow until you have denied me three times. To say that they, this is not what they were expecting would be a grand understatement, right? Their hearts are troubled And it's really not that hard for us to relate to them. For three years, they have sat face to face with the one and only Son of God. They've taken their meals with Him 24-7. They've had in-the-flesh access to the Creator of the universe. God has placed His arm around their shoulder. He has prayed over them. He's taught them. They've witnessed his miracles. They were there when he walked on water. They were there when he told the the wind and the waves to hush, and they obeyed. They were there when he called Lazarus forth from the tomb, and they watched him walk out still with his grave clothes on. They know the power of Jesus. They know he is no mere man. He is God incarnate. They know it. And having known him intimately, they can't fathom their lives going on without him. And that makes sense, right? Anyone ever wished you could just sit down and talk to Jesus? Just sit down across the table from him and have a cup of coffee, ask him some questions? I can imagine easily that if I had had that opportunity just once, I wouldn't ever want that day to end, right? And these men had been given that opportunity for three full years. They have seen God in the flesh. So we can understand why their hearts might be troubled by Jesus saying he has to leave and that where he's going, they cannot come. But you know what we don't tend to think about? We really don't think about Jesus being fully aware of what he's about to endure. Just shortly after we read about Jesus telling these men not to let their hearts be troubled, he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. And the writer describes him as praying with such fervor that he was basically sweating like drops of blood. And he asked the Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours. He knew full well what he was about to experience. Yet here, just hours before his torture and crucifixion, we see him selflessly displaying incredible grace, compassion, and love to these men. He knows the suffering that he's about to endure, but somehow he's pushing all that knowledge to the side to bring comfort to his friends because he loved them. 
And he knew that their hearts were indeed troubled. And the great thing is that nothing has changed. 2,000 years later, Jesus is still showing incredible grace, compassion, and love for all of his people. And if you're wondering how I can be so sure, I'm glad you asked. Turn in your Bibles a couple of pages to John chapter 17. We're going to begin reading with verse 14. John 17, 14. In this passage we're about to read, Jesus is about to be taken into custody by Roman soldiers, and he's praying over his disciples who are going to endure much hardship in taking the gospel into an unbelieving world. Look what he says, beginning with verse 14. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. For their sakes I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. And here's where it gets really good and applies to us. Verse 20. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. Catch it? Just before he was taken captive by soldiers, put on trial, and sent to be tortured and nailed to a cross, knowing full well what pain and suffering he was about to endure. Jesus mentally pushed all that aside, all of the concern for himself aside, and instead spent time praying for you and me. We are those who would come to believe in Jesus through the word of those men. 2,000 years later, we're still coming to know Jesus through the word of those 12 disciples. He's praying for us. Why would he do that? Because he loves us, right? Because he loves us. Everything he was about to endure on the cross was for our benefit. And nothing has changed since the time that Jesus prayed that prayer. His grace, his compassion, and his love are still on all who believe upon his name even to this very day. I'm preaching to myself as much as to anyone else today, but we need to stop here and repeat the words of Jesus. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Jesus loves us. God loves us. And if this passage stopped right here, if, that, if that's all we got from this, it would be enough, right? Just to know that God loves us, that God is concerned for us, that would be enough to, to cause us to offer praise throughout all of our lives throughout all of history, right? Just this week, as I was preparing this sermon, I received an email from someone in this congregation that said this, happy Thanksgiving. I wish you enough. And I turned to Kim and I said, that may be the nicest thing that anyone has ever wished for me, just to have enough, right? In this world, it's enough to have enough, right? 
But here's the thing. This world is not all there is, and our God is not of this world. He hasn't just blessed us with enough. He's blessed us with far more than we could ever ask for or imagine. He's blessed us in that way because he knows it's our tendency to let our hearts be troubled. So let's continue reading. Even though it would be enough just to know that he loves us, look at what Jesus says in verse 2. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. Listen, Jesus warned us that in this world we would have trouble. But the good news is that this world is not our home. It's just a place that we're here for a little while, right? On our way to an eternal place. The place that Jesus himself has prepared for us in his Father's house for all of eternity. Anyone ever think about heaven? I do think about it from time to time, and I think it's actually good for us as Christians to to think about it from time to time as a reminder to ourselves that this world is not our home. But here's a problem for me. I know what the Bible says about heaven's walls being adorned with gemstones and having streets of gold and the crystal sea and the tree of life with the 12 fruits on it. And all that sounds incredibly beautiful, but I can't get a mental picture of it, really. It's hard to envision. There are some things, I think, that you just have to experience to get a real picture in your mind. An earthly example might be the Grand Canyon. I've never been there personally, but everyone I know who's been there says, you can't look at it in a picture and truly appreciate it. You have to see it in person to understand the grandeur. And I think heaven is going to be that way. We're not going to be able to visualize it until we're just there and we see it. But I think the thing I want to know even more than what will it look like is what are we going to experience there? What's life going to be like there? I have a good friend, a believing friend, who said to me one time, I have a hard time getting excited about heaven because like, sitting on clouds and playing harps just doesn't sound all that impressive to me. And that's what I did, too. I laughed. I said, I don't think your vision of heaven is bold enough. I shared this with my discipleship group a month or so ago. Several years ago, my girls and I read a, a trilogy of books called Black, Red, and White. The author's name was Ted Decker. And the genre of these books was like fantasy fiction, like Lord of the Rings, or uh, Chronicles of Narnia, something along those lines. That's, I'm not saying they're on par with those books, but that, that's the genre of literature. And in one scene of the first book, the main character, whose name was Thomas Hunter, awakens to the sound of excited shouting outside of his cottage. So he runs outside, and he's greeted by this incredible scene. On this day, the village he lives in seems to be contained inside of a a giant sphere so that rather than the horizon being flat, it curves up on all sides. And when he looks up, he sees the forest that's normally at the edge of his village has curved up and so that the edge of the forest is now above him in the sky. 
And when he looks to the other direction, he sees a, a herd of horses running through a vertical meadow up into what also should have been the sky and becomes upside down. And then he realized that by jumping, the, the people could launch themselves into flight. And he turns to another character, and children are squealing with delight, and he turns to another character and he says, what's going on? And the character that he spoke to said, Elion is playing. And Elion was the character who represented God in this book. Now, again, this was just a fantasy fiction novel. But that scene and that, that phrase, Elion is playing, have played a prominent role in my mind ever since the day that I read them. Whenever I see a beautiful sunset or a sunrise, I think Elion's playing. When the trees are turning really pretty colors, I think Elion is playing. When we go on a hike and sit at the bottom of a waterfall, I think Elion is playing. And that silly scene from a fictional book has given me an excitement from heaven that I didn't have before I read it. Because who knows in what ways God is going to interact with us in heaven. Just take a look at this world. It's beautiful, right? And there's so many exciting things to experience here. Well, who created it? God did, right? God could have made this world in black and white. He could have, but he didn't. He made it in full color. He could have made it with just one type of terrain, but he didn't. He gave us mountains and prairies and deserts and oceans with islands in them of all different sizes. He could have made it with just one type of plant. That would have been enough, right? But he didn't. He created millions of different plants that all have different colors, different textures, different shapes. Could have made one type of food for us to eat. But he didn't. He created hundreds of thousands of different kinds of combinations of things that we could eat with different flavors, different colors, different smells. And to top it all off, he created us with the senses of touch, taste, sight, hearing, and smell so that we can thoroughly enjoy all that he has created. He didn't have to do that. He chose to give us the ability to receive pleasure from his creation. Now, if God did all of that for this temporary world, how much more incredible do you think heaven's going to be? Listen, God lives in heaven. It's his dwelling place. It's his home. And we're going to be with him in his home, in that place, in the Father's house. Jesus said he was going to prepare a place for us in the Father's house. Just think about that. He didn't say, I go to prepare, prepare like a generic soul warehouse where you know, everyone's soul is just going to go there. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. Does anyone think, honestly, that living with God in his place is going to be dull and boring and drab? I don't. It's going to be full of beauty and excitement that none of us can even begin to fathom because we will be with him. We will be with him 
living in his house, the one who loves us and has prepared a place for us, isn't that a great thought for calming a troubled heart? That God loves us and he's prepared a place for us in his dwelling place. We'll be with him. Again, we have much to be thankful for. There's one more thing we need to take away from this passage that will help to calm a troubled heart. And it's this. When our hearts feel troubled and the world seems to be in a tailspin, we need to remember that God is in control. In verse 4 of our passage, Jesus says He will come again to receive us to Himself so that where He is, we can be also He says, you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas asks, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? And Jesus emphatically states, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. In these words, Jesus is declaring himself the great I am, the one who created the universe and in whom all things hold together. The one who owns the earth and all it contains, including those who dwell in it. The one who holds the keys to life and death and heaven and hell and who is sovereign over all of his creation. Just hours after he spoke these words, Jesus would go to the cross and take the sins of the world upon himself. He would give his life as a ransom for many and three days later, he took it back again. Triumph over sin and death. And he proved that he was the way, the truth, and the life. Even the grave couldn't hold him because he's in control even of death. He used that control to make a way for us to be with him, to make a way for our salvation. He loves us. He's prepared a place for us in eternity in his father's house, and he's so in control that he triumphed even over death. He made the impossible possible. He's made a way for us to have our sins forgiven, for his righteousness to cover our unrighteousness, and for us to live even when we die. My friends, don't let your hearts be troubled. God loves us. He's prepared a place for us. And he's in control. There's one more thing we need to talk about as we prepare to end our time together today, and it's this. All these hopeful things that we've been talking about are predicated on one major detail. Let's look back one last time at John chapter 14, and this time we only need to read verse 1. Jesus says, Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. The key to calming a troubled heart is first and foremost believing in God and in his son, Jesus. Jesus has already demonstrated his love for us by offering himself as the perfect sacrifice. He said he was going to prepare a place for us. I believe he's done that. But the sad fact is that not everyone will get to enjoy the place he has prepared because not all will choose to believe. Back in John chapter 1, 
Jesus wrote these, or John wrote these words about Jesus, beginning in verse 9. There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. See, God doesn't force himself on anyone. Just as that passage says, many did not receive Jesus, the one and only Son of God, sent to rescue the world from its sin. Many did not receive him. Many did not believe him. And the same is true today. Many choose not to receive him. We must choose to believe in God and receive him through the work of his Son. But when we do choose to believe in Jesus, God promises us adoption as sons and daughters of the Most High with all the benefits and privileges of family. We receive his love, we have an eternal home in his dwelling place, and we can rest assured that nothing happens to us that's out of his control. In fact, he will use all that happens to us for our good to transform us into the image of his Son. So if you're here today, and like me, you have a tendency to let your heart become troubled, I just want to repeat this one more time. God loves you. He's prepared a place for you in eternity. And even when you look around and it seems like the whole world is spinning out of control, it's not. God is in control. He is sovereignly in control. But that's only comforting if you first know Jesus as your Savior. So if you're here today and you've never placed your faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, if you've never invited Him to be Lord of your life, please don't leave here today without talking to one of us pastors or a Christian friend and asking them how to invite Jesus into your life. And if you're a believer, but you're like me and you're still having a tendency to let your heart become troubled, I'd say to you and to me, meditate on this passage, soak up the words of Jesus, be still, and know that He is God. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today with hearts that are full of thanksgiving because we know that you love us we know that this world is not our home, that you have prepared a place for us, and Lord, that you're in control. Yet knowing these things and living in that knowledge is sometimes elusive. I think all of us can probably sense in our own lives the sentiment of the man who said to Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. Father, help our unbelief. We believe. Help our unbelief. I ask you to calm our troubled hearts. Please grow our faith. Help us to walk steadfast in the knowledge of who you are, 
even when what we're seeing with our eyes tells us a different story. And Father, if there be any here today who need Jesus as their Savior, Lord, send your Holy Spirit to draw them to you today, this very day. Calm our troubled hearts, I ask in Jesus' name.